here uh, over the weekend working with your leadership and your board of trustees and your pastoral staff and taking a look at uh, what the days ahead look like. It's something that I do all over the country and serving the church through Wesleyan Investment Foundation and uh, it's just a joy to be here. This is uh, the church that I cut my teeth on, if you will. Uh, some of you may not know who I am. My name is Jim Dunn and uh, that's the least important thing you'll hear this morning. But regardless, I served as pastor here, youth pastor, between 1989 and 1991, and then the lead pastor here, actually solo pastor for about seven years to start with, in dealing with uh, the dates of uh, 1991 to 2004. And so it's the only church that I've pastored. I love this pulpit, and I love these people. Some of you I don't even know. Some of you don't know me, and some of you may not like me, but that's all right. And uh, I just go on record to say I like all of you, even though some of you I've never met before. But regardless, it's really good to be here and in the church that I love the most. And uh, hopefully that's okay. Uh, if you ever, I say this every time I preach here, if you ever decide to discard of this sacred piece of furniture right here, I am bitter number one. So I'm not sure I'll pay off your building fund, but I might get close. So just let me know if it's up for bid. There is a truth in God's Word that on this New Year's Sunday, the first Sunday that happens in the calendar of 2018 that is needed to be heard. It is an Old Testament narrative. It's an historical text. And uh, one of the issues that might need to be covered first and foremost is that this is not doctrine. This is not something that you could take as didache or sacred teaching and say, you know what, that's going to happen every time. That if I do A, God will always do B. We would like that in geometry. I, I learned in 7th or 8th grade that the, the straightest point or straightest line between two points is a straight line. And we would love for our theology and our practice and our daily living to be that if I do A, then God has to respond in a straight line to answer the way that I think He needs to answer and sometimes on New Year's, you think about things that you're supposed to do in the new year. I, I am giving up some things this year. One of them is minus zero temperatures. Can I get an amen? Amen. Where did they change the location of Indiana to Siberia? Wow. I'm giving up. Uh, losing records by football teams that I happen to like most of the time. And where did they put God's other perfect son, Peyton Manning? I'd love to give up sickness and conflict and pain and trouble. And I'd love to say, 2018, I'm giving all that up. But the fact of the matter is, there is something that we need to give back. Instead of giving it up, we need to give it back. And that thing, that item, that habit, that perspective is the issue in a Christian life of obedience. Some people don't like the word obedience. <clears throat> I'm not going to obey anybody. In our pick-me-up-by-my-bootstraps kind of culture in 2018, the 21st century, we are told that we should be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, and it really isn't anybody else's business. I can remember officiating a wedding here that uh, none of you would know. 
There were people from the community years and years ago, and I still remember getting a phone call at about 11 o'clock on Friday night from the bride. The bride-to-be. We had just done the rehearsal. By the way, rehearsals are one of the worst events for a pastor ever in the calendar. You get everybody's opinion, even Heloise, that gets misinterpreted on who stands where and what in the world somebody's supposed to do, and all kinds of conflict going on between families sometimes, and uh, it's a circus, to put it lightly. But regardless, I go through the ceremony, and I use the text that the couple has chosen, and uh, we're here actually on this stage, and you can take this altar out in days gone by, and there was a step that we had made so that you could come up the center aisle and stand here on the platform. And we're there, and I go through the text. And it's a text out of Ephesians, and it talks about the fact that you will submit, actually submit to each other, but the bride only heard that she was going to submit to her husband and obey him. And it's good Bible. There's nothing that's wrong with it because actually all she has to do is submit. Biblically, he has to die. So I don't know which one you want to do or which one's worse. But you can take a look at that text if you want to. And so I go through all of that. She chose the text. I get a phone call at 11 o'clock and it just simply goes like this. I am not submitting to this clown and I'm not obeying him. To which in my mind I thought, as I stood in our parsonage that was next door here on the corner, I'm sure glad that our six months of premarital counseling is paying off at this moment. People don't like to obey. But it is one of the disciplines that God has asked us to do. And instead of giving up obedience in this New Year's Sunday, I'm asking you to pick it up and carry it. There's a text in the Old Testament, it's 2 Kings chapter 4. There are two verses that I'll focus on this morning, but actually I want to read down through the entire narrative. It's not very long. It just simply says, The wife of a man of the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing at all there, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go. Go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour into all those jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Lord, this is Your Word. And we are Your people in Your house. Speak to us and change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Elisha. His name means the God of salvation. There's a widow who's just lost her husband. 
He's a prophet, the Scriptures say. And he has done everything that God has told him. And now he's gone. Apparently, they had acquired several uh, monetary kinds or economic kinds of debt in their particular household. And in Old Testament days, what would have been culture then was that you had to pay your debts off if your husband died. It doesn't sound very fair, and it is something that is a predicament today. When somebody passes away, there are many times that people say, look, we made a, 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 an agreement between you and your spouse, and now all of a sudden the burden comes to this one who is single, and they have to take care of lots of things at times. And in this particular day, there were different ways you could pay it off. It could be paid by different commodities. It could be paid by something you could trade. And it also could be paid in this particular passage by making your sibling, or your, 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 your offspring, your sons in this case, two sons, to go and work for whoever the creditor was and pay off your debts. In this particular passage, it says in the Old Testament that they would be slaves. It wasn't something that would be endeared for a lifetime or indebted for a lifetime. It would be that they would go and work for this other person who had loaned the money or loaned whatever it was that they were using until the debt was paid off and then they could come home. How much was it? We don't know. How long would they have to work? We don't know. And so this desperate housewife, if you will, you get that particular pun out of the Old Testament, you thought that television invented all of that stuff. This desperate widow comes to the holy man, Elisha, and simply says, I don't know what to do. I owe all of this. My husband, who was a prophet and obeyed the Lord, has now died and the creditor is coming and he's demanding that my debts be paid off and all I can think of that I have are my two sons. The power of this text comes in so plainly into each of our lives by what the widow does. Because if you could take the image of Elisha and realize that his name means the God of our salvation, she's just simply in symbol turning to the holiest person she knows and asks for advice. And so I'll walk you through an outline that's provided for you in your worship bulletin and it's something where the blanks, it's my fault, not yours, should have been filled in. I'll try to cover all of them. If you're a type A personality and I skip one, you can accost me in the lobby and I'll tell you what that one word was that I skipped, okay? But regardless, the first thing that we need to ask out of this passage that begs the question from 2 Kings 4 is, am I desperate for the Lord's help? Am I desperate for the Lord's help? That doesn't mean you have to be in a desperate situation, but it is something where do I know what it is that I need? And in this particular case, the widow knows, the widow knows what she's facing. She knows what she's facing. She's facing a very difficult predicament in this narrative, in this story. It's something that actually historically happened, but you'll have to believe in the miracle working power of God. And the only way you're going to believe in the miracle working power of God is if you need a miracle today. But regardless, she knows what she's facing. She's facing losing every bit of livelihood she has. She isn't able to work in her culture. I didn't write the rules of the Old Testament, so don't get mad at me in the 21st century. She is not allowed to work. She is not allowed to go out and earn a wage. The only way that she will survive is through the labor of her sons. If they have to go off and pay off her debts, there is no income that's coming back to her. She knows precisely what she's facing. Have you ever been in a desperate predicament? 
Do I have to be desperate to call on the name of the Lord? No. The key out of this passage is that the widow knew exactly where to turn. She knew precisely where she needed to turn for help. She didn't go to her pastor. That's not what this image is. She didn't go to her church and ask for something that, that was out of uh, norm. That's not what this passage means. She went to the representative of God in the Old Testament, Elisha, the Holy One in that particular camp, and literally said, I don't know what to do. My husband's dead. My sons are the only commodity that I think I have. And I am coming to you for help. When you need help, where do you turn? When you need advice, where do you turn? There was some statistic years and years ago, I remember well because I was offended by it, but there was a statistic that came out that said people were four more times likely to go to a psychic than they were to go to a clergy person and ask for prayer. To go and ask a palm reader what's going to happen instead of asking God just precisely what it is that I'm supposed to do. I, I don't know where you turn. Perhaps you turn to Facebook, which might be something on a smartphone. But do the smart thing and put your face in the book, the original Facebook, even in the Scriptures, and know that you can turn to God. Who's she turning to? The God of my salvation. Elisha. It's in the meaning of His name. Do you know that you can go to God? for salvation. Do you know that you can call on the name of the Lord just like you've sung this morning and that in the name of Jesus, Satan has to flee. In the name of Jesus, there's power that's matchless. In the name of Jesus is when miracles start to happen. That you can call on the name of the Lord and He will save you. Do you know that this morning? Are you desperate for His help? You say, oh, I'm not desperate. I'm doing pretty well on my own. Well, Mr. Terrific? Mrs. Terrific? How'd you do so well? Well, I'm a smart guy. Take a look around. There's somebody smarter. I'm a good-looking person. Take a look around. There's somebody better looking. I'm successful all on my own. I've worked hard. Who gave you your hands? Do you know that there is a resource for you and it's actually free? It cost Him everything, but it costs you nothing to call on the name of the Lord and every bit of trouble has to go away. Does that mean nothing will ever happen to me that, that is trouble? That, that's not what this is saying. This lady was in a mess. She was in a pickle. If you're down south, she was in a fix. There is something that's wrong in every person's life. There's a problem in every pew and on every platform. And do we know, church, that we can turn to and call on the name of the Lord and be saved? Does that mean everything's going to turn around for me? No, don't make this doctrine. Don't make it the fact that if I call on the name of the Lord, that nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. Know that there's a place where no kind of harm will ever touch you. There is a destination. There is an eternity where no kind of trouble will ever come in any year that you ever face. And it will last forever. You see, this world, it's not our home. We're just passing through. My treasures, my hope, my salvation, my help, my uh, lack of trouble actually is laid out beyond the blue. Do you believe that? 
I sure hope so. I don't like everything that happens down here. This widow, there's no way that she liked what was going on here. But she knew where to go. She knew what she was facing. When is the last time that you cried out to God? That you cried out to God and said to Him, God, you have to do something. You have to do something. Well, isn't that kind of putting God on the spot? Isn't that something that that you really shouldn't test God? No, it's actually something that He cherishes. He wants His children. Those of you who know what it means to be a parent, whether it's a biological parent or a spiritual parent, and you have a little kid that comes to you and says, Daddy, will you help me? Mommy, will you help me? You know what that does to your heart. That is the same heart that God has even more than any kind of earthly heart could ever muster up. And He is there with His arms wide open saying, Come to Me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Are you desperate? Will you cry out to God for His help? There are daily occasions where I cry out to God for His help. You say, well, I thought you had to be desperate. Don't make it doctrine. You can go to Him for anything. You can trust Him for anything. There are occasions when you will not know what to say. You will not know what to feel. You will not know how to face the day or whatever it is that has it in the day. But there is one who knows precisely what is there. He holds you and He holds tomorrow. Do you know you can call on Him? Do you know you can go, as it were, to Elisha and ask for help? The God of my salvation. The second thing that we can learn from her and literally ask ourselves is, do I trust God's provision? Do I trust God's provision? There are a lot of people that had a big list at Christmas for what they wanted. I understand that there are statistical kinds of studies that were done this Christmas, just after Christmas, right around New Year's, that said that more than any other time in all of North America's history, people wanted more than they ever got this Christmas. That they they still had a big list, that the stores knew it, and they still ran their sales, and apparently we didn't get enough. Apparently, turkey a la mode on 26th of December isn't enough for us. Apparently, the, the 16 pairs of shoes that we have aren't enough for us. Apparently, the sweater wasn't good enough for us. Apparently, the, 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 there's another iPhone that's coming out. I, I'm guessing it's going to be called iPhone 11. I, I'm not sure, but maybe you've got some insight on that. Do I trust God's provision? There is a spiritual discipline, if you were, of being content of knowing that God's got you and God has it. And maybe that's easy for me to say because currently I'm employed. Because currently I have a roof over my head. Because currently I know when I'm going to go to lunch today and where I'm going for that. Because currently you have something in the crock pot. Because currently you're warm. Because currently you have friends. Because currently you have family. Maybe, maybe, just maybe it's easy for us to say this, but would you get into this widow's story? She literally thinks she has nothing. And she still goes to the holy man. An issue of trust. Of turning to God. Regardless of what we have and what we don't have, the widow had nothing, she thought, but a small jar of olive oil. Why is that significant? Oil always represents God's power and His unction in the Bible. That's why in the book of James, for example, when it says that if there's anyone that's sick, they should call for the elders of the church. 
and they should anoint that person with oil. And it really isn't the person who is being prayed for that has to believe, but it is the faith of the people who are praying and the symbol of the oil that might be placed on someone's forehead asking for God to heal their body, just like people have been prayed for here, that some of them have instantly been healed in this place, at this altar, because we anointed them with oil. There are others that went on and were healed in heaven. But regardless, do you understand that there is power whenever oil is issued, especially out of the Old Testament, the old term for it is the unction. The literally release of God's miracle through the symbol of oil. Anytime you see oil in the Bible, it means God's power is about to be released. The widow, though, was saving all she had for death. Not life. She was saving this oil probably, we think. We can conjecture a bit. It doesn't really say it in the text. But we think she's saving this small jar of olive oil to anoint somebody's body with oil. That's what they did. They would use this and herbs and perfumes and perhaps flowers and, and anoint somebody's body with oil so that it wouldn't smell during all of the procession of when somebody was to be buried. So all she had was this provision for death perhaps. And God wanted to use it for life. And Elisha, Elisha asks her, what do you have? What do you have in your house that you're saving for death and God wants to use it for life? Maybe we call it a rainy day. Maybe we've got something tucked away. You only think I'm talking about money. That's only one thing that people tuck away. Maybe it's pride that's tucked away. Maybe it's a habit that's tucked away. Maybe it's something that, that somehow, someway, you've got this secret that's tucked away and you're the one that's going to hold that and you're the one that's going to hoard that. And because of our selfishness, we're never going to give that away. When's the last time you said, maybe you've said it even recently, I I'm not giving that up. Maybe you've even said that to God. I I'm not going to stop that. I'll trust you and I'll believe in you and I'll try to follow you. You ask me for that? Uh-uh. That's off limits. She could have said that. But she's desperate. Sometimes I wonder if we need to get desperate to understand God's provision to its full extent. Even if you have a little bit of trust in God, you have enough. You have enough. Well, I don't know that I'm a great great faithful person if you have a little bit of trust in God you have enough well I don't know that I believe that God can do miraculous things in my life I've done too many things that, that haven't honored him if you have a little bit of faith and trust and love for God you have enough there's an old song I remember my mother singing it as I was a little boy and they were pastoring a church in Tucson I I can hear her soprano voice and and hopefully she'll be able to go home this week from rehabilitation. She's doing great. Thank you for your prayers. But I remember her singing this song like it was yesterday. Little is much when God is in it. Do you have enough? I just have a little bit. The third thing is, will I obey? Will I obey? She and her sons were instructed to go and ask the neighbors for all their jars. These jars would have been precious commodities. You're thinking Tupperware. You're thinking Gladware. If I give it to you for leftovers for Christmas, you've got to bring it back. And we'd love to see that. I'd love to see that for my own children. My children came to visit over Christmas break, and I'll never see even Snapware they took and won't bring it back. <laughs> 
I just keep buying it and keep filling it and keep sending it. <laughs> she and her sons begged. The Hebrew there is that they didn't take no for an answer. They begged for every jar they could get their hands on. That's what they were instructed to do. What do you have? Sir, I only have a small jar of olive oil. Okay. I want you to go, you and your sons, and go to the neighbors and ask them for their jars. Ask them for their vessels. And I want you and your sons to go in and close the door of whatever it is that the closet they went into, the bedroom they went into. And I want you to take that small jar of olive oil and I want you to pour it into those jars. And I want you to keep pouring and I want you to keep pouring until every jar you've collected is full. That instruction was ludicrous. Absolutely crazy. Why? If you're like me, or if you're like Google, you'd punch it in. If I take six ounces of olive oil in a small jar and pour it into just even one vessel that is like a big gulp and holds 127,000 ounces of olive oil, you know, the stuff you can get at Circle K. If I take six ounces of olive oil and pour it into this other humongous jar, what am I going to get? Let's ask Google. You will get six ounces of olive oil. That's what you'll get. No, Elisha knew that he was the God of salvation that provides. That he was the God of salvation that helps. That he was the God of salvation that delivers. That he's the God of salvation that saves. Then it wasn't Elisha. He's just a symbol of that. He's just a type of that. And they begged everyone they could to get a jar. And they went into that room and they closed the door and they kept pouring. And she kept pouring. And she kept pouring. And she kept pouring. And eventually she asked one of her sons, give me another jar. He said, we're out. We're all out. Every jar was full. How many? I don't know. A bunch. We know that a little bit later. When every jar was full, the oil stopped pouring. The miracle of the small jar of oil. The miracle of the widow in 2 Kings 4. The widow's olive oil, your English text probably says. She kept pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. Do you know? Do you know that God's provision is limitless? Do you know that He can take a little bit and turn it into a lot? What's the key? What's the key? Well, apparently I need to borrow everything from my neighbor. That's not the key. I had neighbors like that. That's still not the key. They didn't bring my mower back one time either. The key is, will you and I obey what God tells us to do? Similarly to Jesus' first miracle, although it's difficult to extrapolate this truth from the Old Testament because it happened thousands of years before, but do you remember there were jars at Jesus' first miracle that were ceremonial jars and it was a wedding at Cana? And there was an instruction from Mary that I love more than just about any instruction in the New Testament, even though it's from Mary and not Jesus. And she looked at those servants who were supposed to take ceremonial jars that you do not touch, except on ceremonial days. 
the wedding party had run out of wine. They had run out of the stuff that was supposed to be there. Today, they'd run out of cake. It was a huge faux pas by the caterer. And all of a sudden, they're in a pickle. And Jesus is at this wedding. And He's just an attendee. He's just there for the cake. That's why I go to weddings these days. But regardless, they've run out. And Mary looks at those servants and tells them to take the ceremonial jars because Jesus had said, you take those jars and you fill them with water and then watch what I'll do. It's when He turned water to wine. Jars, again, that were full that then met the need of the day that was there at Cana. And Mary said to those servants, it's something that we need to hear each and every day. And that is this statement. You do whatever Jesus tells you to do. That's what you do. Well, Jesus told me something that He's not told anybody else. That's probably not going to happen. Jesus told me something that's not in the Scripture, so I have this special revelation. That's not going to happen. He will not be an inconsistent God. He will not be a chaotic God. He will be a God of order. And when He speaks, the key is, will you obey? And if you're wondering if it's really from Him, you test it. You test it by the Scriptures. You test it by asking the holy people in your life, the people that you trust their faith and their confidence in Christ and their knowledge of Scripture. You test it. And when you find out that it's real, when you find out that it's true, you do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Amen? Easier said than done, huh? Yeah, but God, I, it doesn't make sense. How is this small jar of olive oil going to fill these jars? I am the God that made the oil and made the jars and made you and your sons and the door that you'll close to go into the room and do what I tell you to do. It's not that order of Sometimes we get it as, you know, this is something that God is punishing me with. No, this is something that God is providing you with. Will you obey? Will I obey? In the rational and the ridiculous, will you and I obey the Lord? Some people think that you only obey when it's ridiculous. That's not a good policy. That's not good theology. In this case, it was ridiculous. There are sometimes it may even make sense. And God will continue to reveal Himself over and over again, just like He did to this widow. The fourth thing, do I have the tenacity to stay focused? You go in and you close the door. If it's me, I'm going in with a six-ounce jar of olive oil and I'm filling the first vessel and then I'm calling my friends. I am. There was a day when I was pastoring here when there was still a party line available in Hancock County. So you weren't just calling one person, you were calling actually 37 people. Because they could pick up and listen in. Did you know that what this happened? I, I was out of everything. I thought I was going to have to sell my sons. And I took this small jar of olive oil and Elisha told me to go in and get all the jars and close the door. And I started pouring and I started pouring and I started filling up. After the first jar, I'm calling somebody. How about you? I'm tweeting something. Maybe even more than the president. This is a miracle. I'm not sure what he's tweeting, but it's stuff. I'm going to tell the world. I'm going to stop after the first jar. Even if it goes past six ounces. This is awesome. 
I have to tell somebody. I have to make sure that everybody knows that God did a miracle for me. I have to make sure that everybody knows what I had for lunch today. It's just the kind of culture we're in. Now she stays focused. She goes in and she closes the door. She takes those jars. She takes her sons. And, and, and in an image of the sacred place, perhaps, this is a stretch, but perhaps that particular place, why does she have to go in with her sons and the jars and close the door and just keep pouring? Maybe, maybe that was a symbol. Maybe. It's a stretch. A symbol of the holy place of God, even the holy of holies, the inner sanctum of her house, that there she could commune with God. That there God's power could flow out. Do you know what it means to literally cloister away with God and believe Him so much that you will stay focused on Him until He answers regardless of what the answer is? Well, I'll pray a little bit. I'm going to leave the door open so somebody knows I'm holy and I'm praying. I'll pray a little bit. But then I'm going to look at my horoscope because you know maybe there's some advice there. and So I'll pray a little bit. And then I'll post something and let somebody know that I need prayer. Is there anything wrong with that? Not necessarily. Until you have to analyze the motive of why you need to let somebody know that you're so terrific by praying like you do. Only God behind the closed door needs to know that you are tenacious in your focus on Him. That's not taught very often, is it? It's even a good reminder for me. Could it be that God's ridiculous blessings may be directly related to relentless focus? That I will not compromise my trust in God. She didn't compromise. Did it make sense? No. It wasn't rational at all. It wasn't logical at all. She went in. She took that small jar. She took her boys. She took the neighbor's jars. She closed the door and she poured and she poured and she poured until every jar was full. And then, then the pouring stopped. This New Year's Sunday, will you give away what God has given you? Will you keep or give away what God has given you. Did you see what happened to all this oil? Did you see what God did? She came out of the room. The pouring had stopped. And she came out and she asked Elisha again. I mean, he told her what to do to go get the jars, to take the jars, to shut the door, take her sons in there, and just start pouring. And this, this, all these jars are full now. All these vessels are full. They're overflowing perhaps. And she comes out. I'm pretty sure she's got a smile on her face. You're not going to believe what happened there. And Lysa's out there and she's this is a good day. What do I do with all this oil? You take it and you pay off your debts. How much was that? I don't know. Check this out. You and your sons live on the rest. What? How long? One day? Nope. 
How do you know? I've got an all-time God for all-time needs. How do you know it lasted? How long? I don't know. But I'm bold enough to challenge you to believe enough and be so confident enough that God can meet every one of your needs. What if those boys were 16? And what if they lived till they were 85? And what if that oil not only paid off her debts, but provided them income for them and all of their families for the rest of their lives? You and your sons go and live on the rest. What if you have that kind of God? How about it? It's not necessarily what you give up for 2018. It could be all about what you literally offer to God. That you give to Him. So I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's something that is an element of prayer that you really haven't given things over to God in prayer and not obeyed when He's asking you to seek Him. Maybe it's even favor that you've gained and, and He wants you to give that to Him. It came from Him. You want me to give everything? that Look, it came from Him. I don't know how much of that is required of you. But if God has favored you, it's high time that you give Him and others that favor as well. Maybe it's encouragement that somebody else needs that He's given you that you could spread and let ooze out of your life. Maybe it's wisdom that He's offered you through experience and you need to offer that instead of telling somebody to go buy the book. Just go ahead and help them right now. What if it's grace and truth and forgiveness that you need to obey and offer to somebody maybe even across the aisle or somebody even seated next to you or somebody who you need to call or text or tweet this afternoon and say, I know I need to ask you to forgive me. What do you have? What do you have in your house? Will you give it to God? If you will, get ready. God, the God of your salvation would love to do a miracle in your life. Amen.